What does the Most High see in you? And what are you showing him in return? Let's pop the top on this. Cue the music. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down, put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength. What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. And I'm Chris. And you're listening to another episode of that Philly Faith Podcast, where we talk the walk and walk it too. Set that bar for us, Chris. Nice and low. Right on. Nice and low. Well, I almost missed the intro. For some reason, I was waiting for you to go, and this is Chris. (laughs) 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 Right on. So, uh, you know, my wife sent me to the store to pick up eight Sprites. But I only pick seven up. <laughs> That's just the one I thought of at the top of my head because I didn't come prepared. That's I, all right. I heard that one, so I like, thought it was kind of funny. That's pretty good. Pretty punny. Pretty so funny. I think it's our second our second uh, soda referenced. Yeah, last time was Dr. Pepper, Dr. wasn't Pepper, it? Yeah. Yeah. He's a physician. Yeah. Yeah. New phone. Who this? <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Was that your phone that went off? Okay. Yeah, that was mine. That was my work phone. I wasn't going to call you out. No, that's all right. Well, I forgot my phone at work. So this is my work phone and it's an iPhone. And me and iPhones have issues. Oh, I see. Because I don't know how to work them. Yeah. Not an eye guy. Oh. Um, He's trying so hard, folks. Starting to sweat. Oh, no. He's getting nervous. He's shaking. That's the wrong button. All my buttons are over here. <laughs> Hopefully that works. So, What's been on your mind? We'll bring that back. What's on your mind? What's on my mind? Because I'm totally unprepared this week. Right on. Right on. Well, um, so, I mean, for those that don't know, we kind of have... Uh, group chat going in the background of, you know, you kind of give us what we're going to talk about or an idea and we're supposed to come prepared. Mm-hmm. We'll give come, you questions to answer and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which I did and, not do. Yeah, and generally, generally, those kind of go according to plan, but every once in a while you throw us a curveball. Yeah. It's like, oh, hey, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this. Yeah. Right. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I had a whole plan for how this episode was supposed to go and he pressed something else on me. So I threw that outline out and I came in completely figuratively naked. Right on. <laughs> I've got nothing but what's in my head. So we'll see how this goes. Right on. Well, I might do a whole lot of talking. I don't know. We'll Good. see how it goes. <laughs> I need see that. How, see I was much, hoping. <laughs> see how much I can remember. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, you, we were going to start out with, um, basically the topic of answered prayers mm-hmm. in the terms of what prayers have we seen answered and, and why were they impactful? <laughs> that got me to thinking, um, you know, we, well, first of all, I mean, to me, and, I, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong. To me, there's two types of prayers. There's the ones that we, you know, we used to say grace and 
and and you know like we open before the podcast we pray mm-hmm. to, you know and those so there's the the short term prayers but then prayer to me is also a com- an ongoing conversation i yes God, i agree right? so it's the it's the times where you know you're you're conversing with him like talking through stuff with him like the difference between petition and dialogue right mm-hmm. right so a lot of times we'll see you know you know, you can see prayers that are answered one way or another. Like, you know, if if we pray on the, and I'm just I keep bringing this up as a as a example, but we pray on the onset of a of a recording of a podcast that you want His will to be known, and then halfway through the podcast, somebody says something, you're like, oh man, that's so confirming. Yes, you know, that's you can see that that's His will coming through the podcast, right? So, I mean, so in the short term, we can see prayers answered, but I guess that would be the micro. I'm thinking more like macro, like when we have conversations with him and he sends us confirmations on on a broader term. Mm -hmm. I'm talking like years, sometimes at a time. And the reason that I bring that up is kind of my example. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if you know this and I, you probably don't because I don't think I've ever mentioned it, that the name of our podcast is actually in a roundabout way an answer prayer for me. No, you never told me this story. Right. So, it's, it's, yeah, because, you know, and I'm, it's something I'm still working through. But um, so I guess go all the way to the back and I'm again I'm rambling because I don't don't have my notes but, no man but um tell your story right so I I I want to say year it's years and years and years ago I'd say probably before even Abigail was born um me and Holly were well it couldn't be that long ago anyways me and Holly were watching a comedian on television and he um he was in his 50s approaching 60 and he had read somewhere that like the the average expectancy of like males in the United States is mid to late 60s right and uh you know, because he was, he was basically, it was the conversation was, he was telling his wife, man, I feel great. And, you know, I'm healthier than I've ever been in my life. And this wife just comes in and like train wrecks the whole thing with like, well, statistically, you're at the end of your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you Thanks know? for that. <laughs> and, 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 and to, to even further, further that he had recently been remarried and then his wife got pregnant. So he's in his mid fifties and having a child. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what kind of brought the whole thing on. And then, so at that time, Holly was, Holly looked over at me and she goes, huh? 60 something years old. So she was like, you're quickly approaching that your life's halfway over. And she said it in a joking way. And I yeah. was like, oh, ha ha ha. But like instantly, like, I felt my heart get tight. Like, I don't know why it was weird. Right. 
And like I said, this was years and years and years ago. So, you know, you kind of put it in the back of your head, you know, and you go on about your life, right? And I know some of my some of my fellow Christians are probably gonna face palm halfway through this because it's like so obvious the answer, right? But let me finish, right? So over the next couple of years I start thinking about that, like like death, dying, you know, like basically it had got to the point in my head where I was when I die, that's it. That's, you know, and, you know, my family might remember me for a couple of years, but after, after that, nothing, right? Like we all want that little piece of like history for ourselves to carve out, right? Like a legacy. Legacy. Yeah. Right. So I start thinking about that more and more and it starts as the years progress, it's it's weighing heavier on me. And it keeps coming up more frequent, more frequent. And it's like almost to the point where it was it was keeping me up at night. Like religiously keeping me up at night. Like what do you what's what's your end game? What are you doing here? What the what what do you have to show? You know, just that kind of what's the purpose? What's the purpose? What you know, where you where are you going? What's you know, when you when you're gone, that's it. You're gone. There's and then you like you won't know you're gone. Like so like I started thinking about like being on my deathbed and then one minute you're here, one minute you're not. But you don't know you're not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of it was in a I was in a weird, like dark place, right? But as you do with most things in life, I tuck it away. Yeah, push it out, push it to the side, and go on with life. Kind of distract yourself and not yeah, deal with it. You know, I mean, you know, I you know, I have I have an awesome wife, beautiful child, good friends, decent job. There's no reason that I should be letting that, you know, death have so much context in my life. But as you as you know, the the more things come up and the more you push them down, the harder they come back, right? So, like I said, it's takes a little while to set up, but we get there. So flash forward years and years later, I just start thinking, you know, what, you know, how do I, how do I get this out of my head? What's, you know, what, where do I turn? Where, where, what, what, what do I do? Where do I go? What do I, what's the answer I'm looking for? Right. So, um, I, I happened across something on Facebook that was, it was pretty much it was so simple. It's like, if you have a question you can't figure out, ask God. I'm like, okay. So I prayed, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this for years now. Why? 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 Two days later, you asked me to do the podcast. Wow. So immediately I'm like, yeah, jump on board. Jump on board. So I do. So we we record our first podcast. We start thinking about, we start talking about 
you know, like other 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 podcasts that we listen to to kind of like formulate our our podcast, what we wanted to emulate, mm-hmm. what we like about other podcasts, what we don't. And I came across uh the uh unashamed podcast. Yeah. Right? The Duck Dynasty guys, Duck, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, yep. Phil and Jace Robertson. And um and I can't remember how I fell on the episode, but the episode that I felt I think it was just their most recent one. They were talking about um a family member that had recently passed away. And in their family, most of their, you know, you know, let me take that back. So most of the time we think of funerals as a sad event, mm-hmm. you know, what um, mourning, but they don't. Especially when the people that they know are saved. And this particular one, this particular family member that had passed away, they actually accredited, um, which is, I guess the dad is, is his name, Robert. I get him confused. The dad, the, basically the the duck commander. Phil, right? Phil, that's yeah. it. Yeah, Phil, Robert, and that's not, yeah, Phil credited her to bringing Phil to God. Mm-hmm. And thus his family and as it, as it were. Yeah, I remember watching his uh, testimony one time. It's it's insane where he came from. Right, where he came from and, and then to where he is now. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, so basically... You know, there was like, there's no reason for us to be sad because we know where this lady's going. We know she's going home to be with God. So. I thought to myself, I thought, and that's kind of like their philosophy is they're not scared. Mm -hmm. They're not scared of it because they know where they're going. So I thought to myself, I thought. How neat it must be to be so firm in your faith that you're not even scared of death. Right? Right. Which, again, most Christians are face palming, right? They're like, well, of course. That's, we serve the master that conquered death, right? So, so then, you know, I started researching it more and thinking about it and, you know, flash forward, you know, five, six, seven weeks. How and then I think it was around our maybe our tenth or eleventh episode. <clears throat> you're like, hey, I have this idea. You know, I think I want to reformat the podcast. And this is what I want to name it. After and it was shortly after we I can't remember, did we do the did we introduce the podcast along with it? Along with the with our reasoning for naming it, or did we? Yes, the the yeah. reformed and <clears throat> reformed. Episode, yeah, yeah. So, I started, you know, so I took those passages from Revelation and I started reading about, you know, the contrast of the Church of Philadelphia and the Church of Laodicea, and I knew I wasn't all the way to the one side, but I knew I wasn't. 
I wasn't in the Philly faith, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that's something we've even talked about that. That's something we pursue. Yeah. Right. We're never really fully there. Yeah. I'd like to say I am, but. Yeah. But I realized that my life had become somewhere aligned with one of the other five churches. I knew who God was. I knew what he did. I had the head knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) right yeah that was kind of appropriate but i i wasn't aligned in other areas of my life i had let idols come before him when demons were at my door i let them take refuge i wasn't kicking them out of my life like i should have been i just i wasn't I'm still not, don't get me wrong, but, but what I realized is I had let all that stuff cloud what I knew, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it took away that intimacy, that walking by faith, right? And I had questioned, like I started to to realize that the reason that I was scared of it was because I began. I, are are you really gonna save me? Is there is there really a heaven? Am I really gonna live with you forever? Like you were struggling to believe that was for you, right? Probably easy to believe it's for everybody else. Hard to believe it's for you. Well, even and even not just not just me, just in general, is. Is this true? Mm-hmm. Like, and, I, and then, like I said, shortly after that, you were like, "Hey, we're gonna re- we're, we're gonna we're gonna relaunch." And I'm like, "That." So I had absolutely no issue with it because it was like spot on time. I get rid of the volume. I'm not worried about it, man. It's not hurting anything. So, so yeah. So in a roundabout way, it timing just aligned with, you know, the domino that started it. To, to you know, to you wanting to rename. And then that's kind that kind of pushed me on the path of hey you you can you can say all you want to you know you can you you know who he is you know you've I I was very young when I accepted Jesus as my Christ as my Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I said those prayers but I had let I'd let my life drift so far that and that's where I take, I take, it's not a fence, but I take issue with the, the once saved, always saved. I, I feel like if you, if you don't have that intimacy, 
then that it 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 pulls you away mm-hmm. to the point where you question even the great promise. Right. right. Do you feel like you may have been on the precipice of falling away? Looking back. Yeah. And here's where, where I think uh, maybe the once saved, always saved crowd comes from. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for one position or the other, but look at all the events that align for him to pull you back. That's why I asked that. If you, if you feel like you were on the edge of that, look at everything he did to yank you back away from it. You know what I mean? Right. Like it wasn't, it wasn't you that rescued yourself. Mm-mm. He stepped in and did that. Right. <sighs> well, so maybe I'm, maybe I have a, a different. I know where you're coming from. I think right. it's, it's, it's dangerous in that it leads people to think that they can just be indifferent about their faith. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the story you're expressing shows that we can't be. Right. And that's kind of, you know, I think that's where I can see where there's a, there's an argument to be, to be that to the, you know, once God made you, nothing can pull you away from him. Mm-hmm. You might go astray, but like I said, I never denounced him. I knew who he was. Right. I knew what he did. It's not like you publicly denied him or something right. like that or, or right. ever considered it. And he's, like you said, he was always there. He's, but it took, it took me saying, you know, I don't think I really prayed like a, a, like a 180 prayer. It was more of a, here I am. Help me. Prayer. You're a drifted sea and you need, you need help. So, so yeah, so, but. But what, but where I'm coming from on the, the once saved, always saved was if something had happened to me in that time, why would, why would I have been saved if my first question in my head was, would I really be saved? Right. Like, (laughs) Prophetically standing at the gates, the question would be, why should I allow you in here when you didn't even believe this existed? Or you doubted this existed? And that's kind of where, like, you know, that's what started the, to be, the, the, the thought to be so strong in your faith that you know where you're going, so you have no fear of death. Right. It doesn't mean you're going to go out and, you know, act recklessly and and throw your life away. Mm -hmm. But to not be scared of what's on the other side like that was. I don't know. I'm I'm starting to ramble now. No, you're good. But yeah, so I just when you when you mentioned that, I was like, yeah, I think it's time to to share that. Because like I said, I'm still. 
still not all the way there. And I don't think, I don't think anybody ever really is all the way there. It's a process. Right. So. Well, it's interesting you choose today to share that because I, I told you that I had planned on going a completely different direction with the episode, but I didn't really tell you what, what direction I'd shifted to. Right. And what he really pressed me on to talk about, and the reason I don't have an outline because I really didn't have time to put one together, and I think that was by design from him, was trust. And what's what's the antithesis of trust? Doubt. And that's essentially what you just your story just expressed. The foundation of that story is his rescuing you from doubt. I think we neglect, like we're so focused on rules. I can be rule obsessed sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it it distracts from the relationship that we're supposed to have with him. And relationships are built on trust. So any healthy relationship is built on trust. Right? Right. I read a, a devotional recently in the the title of it is what really stuck with me. It's the battleground of the mind. And that's what the devotion was about, was all these these wars that wage in your head that pull you away from him, mm-hmm. how your emotions can pull you away. And that's been like that, just that title alone has been rattling around. And I ran across this book where we record at. It's kind of like a library. Something told me to pick this up and open it up randomly. And I did this right before we started, right before you got here. This was the section I opened it to. I'm just going to read this. It's called Adjust or Self-Destruct, A Study of the Believer's Two Natures by Craig Massey. And the section that I opened to is called The Heart. And it says this, The old nature affects the emotions of man. It seeks to control the body at all times, for the body is a victim of the old nature. But the old nature is doomed to be abolished. The old nature's control of the believer's mind is optional. The believer can subject his mind to the spirit's control. Of course, the battle will rage and there will be lost skirmishes. But overall, if the believer listens to the Lord, he can enjoy victory instead of experiencing Christianity as a burden. This section discusses the old nature's control of the heart or the emotional part of man. The Lord tells us in Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart deviseth his way. Indeed, our emotions usually determine what we do. As in the physical and the mental, so in the emotional, there is the battle of the two natures for control. In Matthew 15, 19, we read, Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. The emotions behind these crimes are hate, bitterness, temper, smoldering anger, jealousy, greed, coveting, lust of the mind, lust of the eye. The old nature's pride is also an extremely emotional area. A Christian couple recently married found subtle power struggles developing almost at once. Each wanted his own way. Each was seeking to dominate. Not until they recognized the presence of their old, fleshly natures and took steps to curb them did they heal the growing breach. Sometimes the old nature's emotions are at their worst in the local church. Things seem to be going along well when suddenly a critical attitude toward the pastor or some conflict between people within the church develops. No one surrenders. The will of the Lord is lost, and former friends become enemies. Often we hear that someone who seemed to be all out for the Lord Jesus Christ and growing spiritually is suddenly drifting and demonstrating no spiritual interest. 
A missionary who had served on the field faithfully was forced to come home because of severe depression. I can't believe what has happened to me, she cried. My depression was upon me before I knew what was happening. I never worried much about the future or finances or health or retirement. Now I'm anxious about everything. And for a year and a half, I've experienced with, I've existed with a, sorry, let me say that again. And for a year and a half, I've existed with constant depression. I feel guilty, ashamed, and defeated. In this particular case, the missionary had served in an area where she was isolated and therefore had little Bible study except on the shallow level necessary for teaching new converts. While she was very busy about her work, without realizing it, she was not growing spiritually. Satan is clever enough to wait until a Christian is weakened by lack of spiritual growth. Then he is there, further weakening the faith that is so necessary for vigorous growth. Some people encountering this weakness seek an emotional uplift. When they get it, they seem to be restored for a little while, but the drift sets in again, and the old nature's emotions well up and affect the life. Most believers use the word feel to indicate how they react, but feelings are not reliable. They stem from emotions. It is wise, therefore, in spiritual things not to let the emotions control the mind and the body, but rather to let the Word of God control the emotions, the mind, and the body. The phrase, thy will be done, should be a pattern in the prayer life and in living. The old nature will violently resist the new nature's decision to do the will of God. The old nature is persistent and clever. Again and again, believers have been led by their old natures into various kinds of immoral conduct. The old nature, mind, emotions, and even the yearnings of the flesh itself, all press for indulgence. Unless the believer is aware of this important fact and can turn this area of his life over to his new nature, he will suffer costly defeat. I'm going to stop there. We all fight that battle, right? There's a battle inside of every single one of us between those two natures that Paul described. And the only thing that I would change about what I just read there, he said to, to, to turn it over to the new nature, it's really the most high we need to turn it over to. Maybe that's what the author meant, but I think that's a better way to put it. Mm-hmm. He needs to have full dominion and control over our lives, and he, he has that, but he's waiting for us to surrender it to him. And until we do, we're going to fight these, these doubts and these fears and these anxieties and these worries because it's the, it's the realm of Satan, right? Mm-hmm. And he's going he's gonna to war for us. The Father wants to war for us too, right? It's a battle we can't win. Right. That's something he's pressed on me very heavily recently, and I'll get into that later. But we try to fight on our own. We think we're handing it over to him, but we're really not. And until we trust him with it and just give it to him, we're going to keep having setbacks. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's interesting that you read that because that's almost verbatim. What happened in this case was, you know, I'd went through two different, two different church breakups, Mm -hmm. if you will. Um, And, you know, shortly, shortly after, you know, high school was basically a drift. I didn't, I kind of, I put, I put my faith not in God, but in, church and the the antithesis of that was 
how can how can the devil have so much control over the house of God? Mm-hmm. And and it's just that it because I was looking at the house of God not as the ecclesia but as the building itself right as as people and it's not it's you know what i mean like it's yeah. it's not that brick and mortar it's not the it's you know what i mean yeah we too often treat the building and the people in it and the leaders like like a sort of vicar of christ right. like they're they're in his place right. so when they stumble and fail we view him as failing right right yeah and he didn't fail no we did and uh and then that kind of set that kind of set the I don't want to say set me morally adrift, but it it left me in a place where I wasn't being spiritually nourished. You weren't growing. Right. Yeah, that's one thing he says there that I do agree with, because I experienced it. When you when you isolate, when you get to a place of isolation and you're not growing, mm-hmm. you're in a very, very dangerous place on the battlefield for your soul. Very dangerous place. And I'm like you, I, I was never at a place where I was... I felt like I was at risk of publicly denying or falling away, but I certainly fell into sin and I fell into, you know, it's a, it's a bit by bit thing. Right. He chips away little by little, little enough that at the time you don't really notice it or you distract yourself from it or ignore it until you get years into it. And then you look back and you you look at where you are, you look at where you were and it seems impossible to get back. Right. Like what, what was little, little steps in the wrong direction turns into miles down the cavern. And the only way out is through him. Right. I think it's, you know, and, I, and I'll, and I'll use this as, you know, we've as an example, cause we've talked about it where, you know, we, we say that sometimes that change is painful. And that, that pain is a way that, that we, that we learn and we grow. Um, and I, cause I, I truly believe that that tightening of my heart that I felt not only physically, but, but emotionally was, was him, you know, saying, Hey, this is, you're, you're not right. Mm-hmm. This, your heart's, your heart doesn't belong to me right now. Right. And, Essentially, I'm gonna squeeze it till it does. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull you back, and it's gonna hurt. Well, I've told my story before, and I, I've talked about how I can't really describe the feeling, but what you're describing is exactly the same thing I felt when I, when I, like, I that story I told when I'm, I'm sitting in my recliner, and it finally mm-hmm. hit me where I was and and where I needed to be, and cried out to him. I, I don't know what to do. That's what I felt. It was like a tightening, and I didn't know what to make of it at the time. I panicked. I really didn't know what to make of it. I thought uh, when the enemy swept in and, and tried to deceive me into believing that was him leaving. Right. Right. That's the feeling of being forsaken. That's what I thought. And without having anyone to turn to, a spiritual mentor or guide or you know, other believers, all I had were my thoughts. That's all I had. Right. So isolated, all I had was the 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 emotion that you can't depend on, the emotion that you can't trust. You know, interpreting interpreting the events all in the wrong way. You know, and then you swirl, 
Isolation is so dangerous. It's so dangerous. And it's, you know, not, you, you say that and, and maybe this something that I didn't realize is, is that was, I was actually putting that isolation on myself in the sense of, you know, I just swallow that. Don't tell anybody about it. It's, you have no reason to feel that way. Swallow it. Mm-hmm. Forget about it. It just kept coming up, you know. And that's how it works, I think. It'll just keep repeating. It'll ebb and flow until you acknowledge it. Until you acknowledge it and take it to him and do something with it. Because that's what he wants. He wants you to take it to him. You know, when you, mm-hmm. when you those of you listening, if you feel that, it's because he's trying to get your attention. Right. The Most High, your gracious Father, is trying to get your attention. Because there's something in you that's not good. There was something in me that wasn't good. There was something in you that wasn't good. And right. he he needed to bubble that to the surface. It's not like he doesn't know what's in us. He knows. He sees. We're right. going to talk about that in a minute. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and read something to transition us, if that's okay. Yeah. Not away from that topic, but... Got to flip through pages. No big bookmarks. Nothing. That's okay. You've heard multiple, my phone ding multiple times this time. <laughs> you've let it go, so. So this was the question I was going to ask that I didn't share with you ahead of time. And it's based on this, and I think I've mentioned this before, but I want to talk more about it. And it, it, it slots in perfectly with what we're talking about now. And it's about King Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Is he the father of Manasseh? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, Manasseh's father. And it says toward the end of his life, it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Verse 31 says something interesting. It's, it's summarizing his life when he's being laid to rest. And it says, even in the matter of the envoys of the rulers of Babylon, who sent to him to inquire of the wonder that had happened in the land, God left him alone only to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Left him alone to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. And I don't want to answer the question now. We're going to hit our break first, do our, do our featured song. But I want you to think about what does it mean to be tested by God? What does it mean to have your heart revealed? Why does he do it? What's the purpose? We're not talking specifically about Hezekiah. But, you know, we, I, I know the story. I don't want to get into the, the, the story of, of that specific testing, but we're talking about the principle of when he brings that test upon us. What you essentially just described in your own walk. That was a test, 100%. So that's what we're going to talk about on the bottom half. Uh, before we do that, we're going to hit our mid-episode break. Uh, our featured song this week is Man in the Mirror by Mike Maranatha. Hope you enjoy and stay tuned. We'll catch you on the other side. Take a deep look in the mirror and say, I ain't scared of you. The man in the- 
the end. Yeah, the reason why he died so that he could live within. So let the flame ignite, cause he brought us back to life. And in the darkest of days, the Father be your guide and light. He'll never lead you astray. He's always leading the way. If we believe in this way, then he gon' teach us to say, I am not afraid. I am not afraid to the man in the mirror. No, I am not afraid. I am not afraid. I am not afraid to the man in the mirror. No, I am not afraid. I am not afraid. I am not afraid. I am not afraid to the man in the mirror. Look, I am not afraid. back again that was man in the mirror by mike maranatha so again we're talking about trust trust and specifically that reference we just read for this for this half or at least for this this part of it testing and he said that he put him alone or, or left him alone to test him to see what, what was truly in his heart was it so I, I've, I've had conversations and about this. So I read it as God left him alone so that he could see what was in his heart. And then there's other people that say like he could see what is in his own heart. Mm -hmm. And then there's other people that read that and they say, well, God left him alone so that God could see what was in his heart. So the way the translation the way the translation reads it is that he left him alone so that the most high could see what was in Hezekiah's heart. But the most high is all knowing. That see that's that was that's my biggest, you know I don't know, I don't know what the word is. My biggest hesitation with that is he knows what's in his heart. Right. I think it's, and I think that's the answer to, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're good. I think that's the answer to the question is why he does that. Is it so we can see what is truly in our hearts? Bingo. I think the whole purpose of what he did with Hezekiah and what he does with any of us when he tests us, it's not to reveal what's in our heart to him. He already knows. He sees what's in our heart. It's to reveal what's in our heart to us because we blind ourselves to it. Mm-hmm. So why is it so important for us to see what's truly in our own heart? Why did it matter for you? And that story that you just shared in the, the top half of the episode, why was it important for you to see it? Because it was there. Right. Right. Before you felt that, before you felt the pressing, before the, the, the years of struggling with it, it was there. 
before you knew it was there. What changed when you had revealed to you, though? How did that change the trajectory? I think, I mean, that, it just, it, it, you start on that path of becoming clean again, mm-hmm. in, in a sense. And I, and, and the reason I, I say that is because I liken this to um, a paint roller. So I was recently, we've been doing a lot of home remodeling. Yeah. And so I, when you're done painting, right, if you want to reuse your roller, you got to wash it out, right? But anybody that's tried to wash out a roller knows you can, the side you're looking at, you can scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub on it. But yet, if you roll that around to the other side, guess what's on the other side? Paint. Yeah. Right? And if you don't turn that around and reveal that, and you let that paint roller dry, it's not going to be, you can't, it's not going to be good anymore. You can't use it. But, and I, and I liken that and, and, and that's kind of what Abigail was like, Oh, look, daddy, it's so clean. I'm like, eh, not really look, look at here. And I turn it over <laughs> and she goes, Oh, there's so much paint. I'm like, yeah. So you have to constantly, I think that's why, you know, God reveals, lets us, reveal what's in our heart. It's like, it's he's constantly turning that roller, clean this side, turn it, clean it, turn it, clean it. Cause if you don't, he's not going to have something he can use at the end of it. It's almost like you're describing keeping it moving. Right. That's what I hear. You're keeping it, keeping it moving. Right. Right. One of the things I wanted to talk about is in Exodus and there's, so much we can glean from the Exodus account. We could spend months in this book probably and still not still not touch the surface of all of it, but it's in Exodus chapter 13, and I'm not going to read the, the entire account, obviously, but this is right at the tail end of the last plague, so the plague of death of the mm-hmm. firstborn. And they're expelled from Egypt. The Egyptians beg them to leave <laughs> after... After all these weeks of <laughs> refusing to let him go, like, oh, please go here. Just By the way, here's some leave. gold bracelets for you. Too. Yeah. Here's all my money. Just get out. And then their, their firstborn are consecrated. We've talked about that in the past on our intent episodes that we haven't finished yet. <laughs> I promise we'll get there. I don't want to promise. I hope we'll get there. I, I plan on getting there. If the spirit says, no, we won't get there. So I can't promise you that, but right. I think we'll round back to that. But right after this is when they are led out of Egypt. So this is between leaving Egypt and the Red Sea. Okay. So they're, they're essentially running because Pharaoh changes his mind. They expel the Israelites and then he says, oh, no, I want him back again. Yeah. So he chases them with his army. But it says something interesting here. It's in chapter 13. That's the context. And starting in verse 17, it says... Now, when Pharaoh had led the had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. We'll stop there. So what he's saying there essentially is that there was a main road 
that went directly from Egypt where they left to the Red Sea, what we would call a highway, a, a, a main and obvious well-traveled road. But he didn't take them on that road. He took them on a winding way through the wilderness and essentially got them lost. The whole purpose of the wilderness road was so that they'd get lost so they wouldn't know how to retreat even if they wanted to. You see what he's doing here? He knows that they'll be fearful. He knows that they'll doubt and they won't trust him. Even after everything they've seen, they won't trust and they'll want to go back to Egypt. But because he's called them and because he loves them and because he's already consecrated them, he gets them lost so they don't even have the option of turning back. You see? Yeah. He could have gone by the way of the highway and just said, if they turn back, oh, well, they're not mine, but he doesn't do that. He gets them lost and says they they have no choice but to follow him. Right. And then when we look forward, and I'm just going to kind of summarize, like I say, this is in chapters 13 and 14. We look forward, they get to the Red Sea, and now they have nowhere to go. Their backs are against the sea. They can't cross. And Pharaoh's army is bearing down upon them on the other side, wanting to kill them. They have nowhere to go. And so... Through this winding road, he leads them, to this, leads them to this place where they literally have nowhere to run so that they can see him place a supernatural barrier between themselves and Pharaoh's army, visibly, mm-hmm. to teach them what? That they can trust him. That's how I view this. Right. He's teaching them that they can trust him. And then, of course, we know the story. The, the sea parts, they cross over. They get on the other side. Pharaoh leads his army in. The sea crashes down on them, kills them. Or at least the army. I don't know if Pharaoh went in. I think he just told them to go. And then they're on the other side, and he no longer has to lead them by a wilderness road and get them lost because they can't go back anyway. Right? They're on the other side of the Red Sea, and there's no easy way back to Egypt anymore. So now they're kind of committed. But it's a forced commitment. Right. And I think we experience that a lot. The reason I wanted to bring this up is I think often, essentially what you felt with that pressing that you felt and that pressing that I felt, he forced a commitment <laughs> on us. Right, he really didn't give us a choice. It was either just swirl in that feeling, in that despair, or do something with it mm-hmm. and follow him. Where else can you go? Right. Where else can you go with it? And you see this a couple more times in the account moving forward. But the one I wanted to focus on, in particular, is the manna. And the reason I wanted to focus on the manna is because it's interesting. At the time of recording, we're a few weeks behind. So by the time you listen to this, it'll be out of date. But at the time of recording. It's what's called a second Passover. Second Passover started today. And it's, to my knowledge, it's the only uh, biblical holy day that, that does this, but there's a provision so that if you miss the actual biblical Passover for whatever reason, you get a second chance to celebrate it the following month, on the second month mm-hmm. of the year. So Passover is the 15th day of the first biblical month. Second Passover is the 15th day of the second biblical month. And that's today. And it's interesting, that's when this manna starts, is during second Passover. I'm not going to dive into what I think that means, but that's pretty significant. I think that that bread from heaven first started coming down on the Israelites miraculously during second Passover. That's interesting. But it's in chapter 16, and it says, Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. For everything they've seen. They've seen the plagues. They've been delivered from the plagues. They've seen 
the supernatural barrier between themselves and the armies of Egypt. They've seen the, the miraculous dividing of the sea, and still they're grumbling. The sons of Israel said to them, verse 3, The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. No trust. After everything they've seen and everything they've been through, no trust. Just doubt. They're convinced that they're, they're going to starve to death out here. After everything he's done to rescue them, right. after everything he's rescued them from, still, the entire assembly doubts. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether or not they will walk in my instruction. I think it's interesting here that he, he likens in my mind, likens walking in his instruction with trusting him. Because I think they're, they're paired one to another. Walking in his instruction is like following in his footsteps. It's like following him on that wilderness journey, right? Mm-hmm. Which involves trust, requires trust to follow him, even when you don't know where your next meal is coming from, even when you have a satanic army chasing you down, even when you have a river in front of you that he's telling you to cross over following him and trusting him and obeying him, right? right? Obeying what he tells you to do, even when it doesn't make sense from a worldly perspective. doesn't make sense, right. but it doesn't matter. You've got to trust. Trust is the bedrock of everything. So can you read, can you read that, that verse four again? Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. So, like, I I don't know why why this why it's like it's it speaks to me, but it it does that he, you know, like he said only go enough and get enough for that day. Mm-hmm. Like he knew even at this point in their hearts, they would go out and go, well, you know, there's a lot here and this might not happen again tomorrow, even though he says it's going to. So I'm going to gather up three, four five days worth and take it back with me. Yeah. So I think even, even it's like a test within a test Yeah, where he's, you know, I'm going to, there's going to be so much that you're going to have enough, more than enough for one day, but only gather a day's worth because I'm going to keep doing this. Yes. For six days. Right. On the six, yeah. Cause yes. The, Cause on yeah. the sixth day they gather enough for two. So they're not gathering on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I was looking to see where it says, because I don't remember where it says it. But if they did do as you had, what you had talked about, not trust and gather, gather a bunch, hoard up a bunch, the following day, it'd be full of maggots. So even the extra that they had gathered up, it would go bad. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So he allowed them to gather just enough for that day. And even if they tried to 
hoard, the the stockpile that they were hoarding would just be maggot infested and they wouldn't be able to use it, which what does it do? It forces them back into that position of trust. They have mm-hmm. to trust on a day by day basis. There's a lesson for us in that. You know, we have to trust him daily. It's a it's a day by day thing. Right. It's not a trust like the world promises, like worldly systems promise. Right. It's a daily walk with him that he wants because that's a relationship. And again, relationships are built on a bedrock of trust. They don't, if they don't have trust, then they won't work. Right. I think that's why it's, it's so important that, that, you know, you do that daily devotional and that you keep, don't, you know, we, we kind of throw out the, him at the top of the list, but replace that with him in the center of our circle. Cause you know, it's very easy to go to church on Sunday and gather up enough God mm-hmm. air quotes for seven days, but you're going to find that after you leave the next day, it's going to be maggot filled, right? You're not going to be able to use it. You need to constantly go out there and refresh that bread every day. Yeah. He will provide. He wants to provide. But he also wants us to to trust that he will, to surrender ourselves to that. We've been talking about Gideon in our small group Bible study, so he's kind of fresh in my mind. And, and there's a couple there's a couple aspects of what we're talking about that, that are kind of exemplified in that account. In the very beginning, it's Judges chapter six. We're not going to read it, but I'll just kind of kind of briefly summarize. It's in that Judges period where the people are going back and forth between crying out to Yahweh and he rescues them, and then they go back to idolatry. And so they're in that that period, yeah, that this yeah. back and forth, and and the the they're under the thumb of the Midianites for seven years for turning to to idols. And they cry out to him, and he answers. He sends a prophet, and uh, to explain to them why they've suffered the way they have. But then immediately after chastising them through the prophet, the angel of the Lord goes to Gideon to use him to liberate the people. So in the same breath that Yahweh chastises them and says, this is why this has happened to you, he's already planning the rescue because mm-hmm. he loves them, right? right? And their act of crying out is an act of trust. They finally turn to him. That's what he was waiting for, to turn to him and trust in him and not their, their wooden stone idols, right? But there's mm-hmm. something interesting about Gideon. There's a lot that's interesting about Gideon, but when, when Yahweh approaches him and... It's interesting in the account, the angel of Yahweh is conflated with Yahweh himself within the account. So it's essentially the, the, the words of Yahweh being spoken to Gideon. And he addresses him in my translation as valiant warrior, right off the bat, which takes Gideon aback. He's like, valiant warrior? Do you know who I am? He's yeah. like, I'm a nobody from a nobody's tribe and a nobody family. He's like, I'm the smallest tribe smallest family. I'm nobody. I'm not a valiant warrior. He wasn't a soldier. Right. He wasn't trained. He wasn't special in any way, shape, or form. Superficially, Gideon was not qualified. But God sees deeper. He doesn't see who you are in the moment. He sees who you can be. He sees things in our heart. He saw things in Gideon's heart that hadn't even been revealed to Gideon yet. Right? Because mm-hmm. he sees something deeper. 
that needed to be revealed. The same with Hezekiah. He saw something deeper that needed to be revealed and confessed. He saw something in me that I needed to have revealed so I could confess, right? Gideon wasn't a perfect person. And that's the, the second aspect that, you see, that we see in the Gideon account. Right after this, Gideon sort of questions Yahweh. He's like, if, you know, Abiyah, if you're, if you're for us, then why are we suffering the way we are, right? Like he's right. oblivious to the fact that there's an idol problem here. Mm-hmm. And he trusts. He chooses to trust. And trust is a choice. He chooses to trust. And then immediately after this, Abiyah tells Gideon to go home to his father's house and destroy his father's idol that's there, which means they had a household idol. And we're not explicitly told in the text, but I suspect that Gideon wasn't innocent when it came to the idol. I think the reason Abiyah had Gideon go home to destroy the idol was to show his commitment, right. to show his commitment to trusting in him, the Most High, his gracious father, and not the wood idol that his father had at home. It was a family idol. So he tells him, he tells him, go home, pull down the idol, and build an altar to me there. And Gideon does. He, he walks in obedience. He follows. Right? But it started with trust. It had to. Gideon didn't trust. He never would have pulled down the idol. Right? Right. Because he knew what the backlash was going <clears> to <throat> be. Yeah. And that account, it talks about the backlash. They wanted to kill Gideon over that. But, so, so it, it has to work together. Right? Mm-hmm. It has to be paired I think it's all, it's all bound up in our definition of faith. Right, we think of faith as just believing, but faith is, is deeper than that. You know, I liken faith to, to a chain, like a three-link chain of belief. You have to believe in him. You have to believe in the Most High, and you have to trust in him. That'd be the second link, right? To trust, mm-hmm. you have to believe. But that has to take you somewhere. There has to be some sort of obedience attached to that, or your, your faith chain doesn't hold weight. Right. right. All three of those links have to be in place and they have to be made of steel to hold weight. Right. Right. And any time our links become damaged or weakened, he's going to reveal that. He's going to pull that out of our heart and reveal that so that we can address it with him. He wants us right. to address it with him. I think that's what you experienced. I think that's what a lot of us experience in different ways. I think that's what Hezekiah experienced. And I think that's what the people of Israel here experienced. Going back to that, that's why I, I loved your analogy of the the paintbrush because you keep it moving, right? Right. Seems like that's what he was trying to get the people of Israel to do, to keep moving. He mm-hmm. didn't want them to stop, right? He didn't want them to stop in their doubt and go back or just sit down and give up. He wanted them to keep moving with him. My stepdad gave me this watch the other day, and I had like a, a weird epiphany with it. Okay, it's like, I remember when he bought this. It meant a lot to me. Probably, it, it's junk to him, right? But to me, I'm like, man, I remember when he got this, you know? Like, it's, it's super meaningful right. to me. The reason it's junk, it's, it's a gold Seiko kinetic watch, and it doesn't hold charge, right? Right. So you have to keep it moving. So for him, that's useless. And he's like, you know, when he gave it to me, he's like, I think you'll be all right with it as long as you wear it every day and just keep moving. As long as you keep moving, it'll keep telling time. Right. One night, it went dead after like two hours of not wearing it. And I had this, I don't know if, something that God revealed in me the other day. I'll tell the story in a minute. But after kind of had the realization of what he was showing me, 
It hasn't gone dead since, even when I take it off. But I think there's a lesson in this for us that it's very similar in our relationship with him. As long as we keep moving with him and keep walking with him and keep in step with him, our clock will stay aligned with him. Right. It'll stay in time with him. Right. We'll be in step with him. But if we stop, we stop moving with him, then slowly but surely, it'll start slowing down. Time will get out of alignment until eventually it just stops ticking altogether until we start moving again. I think that's the whole purpose of him revealing these things in our heart because we have to have it pulled out of us so we start moving with him again. Because at some point, we stopped. We stopped growing. We stopped walking. Do you have any thoughts? No. For once, I'm speechless. I said this was going to be a shorter one, and I think I'm going to tell... Tell one more little little story and then wrap up. I think we've <laughs> I think we've unpacked a lot. Yep. A lot to think about. But I had a I had an incident this last weekend and I I failed him. I compromised. My intentions were good, but that doesn't matter. So I I volunteer at a place called the community kitchen. And we, uh, it's like a soup kitchen. We provide meals for, for people in need and, uh, for free, obviously. And it's every Wednesday and Saturday. So Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So one of those days is the Sabbath. Now I don't do work there that's unnecessary. Like for example, I volunteer to, to clean the floors in the bathroom, but I always wait until sundown. I tell everybody else you can leave. I'll come back later. I'll take care of it after the Sabbath's over. Only do what's needful. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. First time, I think it's the first time Steph, my wife, ever volunteered there. She brought the girls there. So we were all volunteering. And uh, it doesn't matter what we were serving, but within the first hour, we served for like two hours. And within the first hour, uh, like one and a half pans were gone. Right? And so we, we don't know, two pans were gone. So we only have one pan left of what we were serving with an entire hour to go. And I'm in panic mode, right? Like, I don't know what we're going to do. We're trying to figure out what we're going to serve as a backup after it runs out, but we don't have any bread. So since we're out, somebody has to go buy it, which you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath, right? So I volunteered to go because it's, you know, whether I go or tell somebody else to, it's still breaking the Sabbath. Right. So I volunteered to go do it. And I'll be honest with you, at the time, I wasn't even thinking about it being the Sabbath. I didn't think about it until I got there. Now I looked over at Steph and she's motioning me, giving me that prayer, prayer motion. I know what she's telling me at the time. Trust him. Just pray. It'll be all right. And I brushed it off. I brought my little girl, brought my littlest with me. And it didn't hit me until I was standing in line to check out. I'm like, it's the Sabbath today. And I had this like this turmoil about it, and something was telling me, put the basket down and just go back. But I didn't. I didn't. And I went ahead and I, I, I went ahead and committed to buying it. You know, Faith, she's asking me for like candy and stuff like that. I'm like, no, we're not getting anything for ourselves. It's just for, for this. It's just for the people that need it. We're not doing anything for ourselves. And it was weird. I've never had this happen. 
some woman was behind us. And this is why I know it was a test, right? I was being tested big time that day for a purpose, for the purpose that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think there's a, a huge, great grand sin of, of buying somebody who desperately needs food, food on the Sabbath, right? But I'm going to get to why this revealed something in me in a minute. But this woman behind me, she, my faith was asking for M&Ms. And I'm like, no, no, we can't do that. We're not doing anything for ourselves. Well, this woman behind is like, she like bypasses me and tells faith, pick up what you want. Go ahead and get what you want. And I'm like, ma'am, no, there's a reason I'm telling her no. Well, she ignores me, rolls her eyes at me, picks up the M&Ms, tells the woman to, to, to put it on, on her checkout because I was done checking out and then like tries to shove it at faith mm-hmm. and faith wouldn't take it like four year old faith. She wouldn't take it. I was shocked. I've never had this happen before in my life. I was in shock. I didn't even know how to respond. As she shoves it at me, she's like, she's not going to take it from me. You need to give it to her. And I just held my hand out like, okay, what in the world? Like I should have just shoved it back at her probably, but I didn't. I genuinely, I didn't know how to respond to it. Threw it in the bag, walked out <clears throat> and then face asking for it. And I'm like, no, kiddo, I explained it to her in the car. I'm like, there's a reason I was telling you, no, you can't have it. I'm sorry. She completely understood. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? She was yeah. sad, but she understood. Okay. So I threw it away when I got back. And that's how, like, I, like, again, I've never had anything like that happen. 100% that was a test. Mm-hmm. Right. So at least I didn't fail that one, I guess. <laughs> but I get back and I'm just sort of defeated because I knew I should have put the basket down like I felt like the spirit was pressing me to do. And I got back and I kind of I pulled a step to the side and I'm like, I messed up. I shouldn't have done it. She was like, no, probably not. She was like, your heart was in the right place. But I think what God's going to do today is he's going to prove to you that you can trust him. Because she's like, I think we're going to have just enough. We still have like an hour left. She's like, I think it's going to turn out where we have, we have just enough and he's going to make a point to you today. Now, I'm, like I say, I'm just absolutely defeated about the whole thing. Right. And sure enough, <laughs> we had exactly the right amount for everybody that needed it. Exactly the right amount. No more, no less. And if I had just put the basket down and trusted, everything would have worked out fine. But if things hadn't worked out the way they had on a Sabbath, something that I do take seriously, my lack of trust in that area would have never been revealed to me. I would have brushed it off. Oh, that's cool. It worked out perfect. And I'd have forgot about it in two days. Because of the way circumstances aligned, the way he aligned circumstances, it revealed something into me that I didn't want to see. I didn't want to see that I still struggle with trusting him in the little things. I expect him to let me trust him in the big things, but if I can't trust him in the little things, I've got to get the little things right first, right? Right. Now, this was wild. Just as like a, to, to hammer it home. Again, my littlest is four. At the end, she grabs me by the hand and she's like, I want to show you something. Okay. She does that occasionally. Well, she drug me to the front door and out the front on the sidewalk. She's never done this before. Pulls me all the way out to the sidewalk where we're by ourselves. And then she grabs my little finger and tugs me down to her level. So I get down on my knees at her level And she gets the most stoic, serious face 
And she looks right at me and she goes, you can't do things this way. You can't keep doing it on your own. Repeated it. You can't keep doing things this way. You can't keep doing it on your own. I don't know where this came from. I know a wave of emotion hit me when she said it and it just flooded at me. Trust. Trust me. And I said, you're right. I have to trust, don't I? And she looked me dead in the eyes with a dramatic little pause and said, yes, you do. And then back inside she went. Trust is important. It's important. I treat too often the rules like the bedrock, but they're not. The rules are important or he wouldn't have given them to us, but they're not the bedrock of our relationship with him. Trust is. If we would just trust in him, we would trust and love like he tells us to. There's no law against that. We wouldn't fall out of alignment. Our clock never stopped ticking. But it's easier said than done. Yep. I think that's all I have. You have any final thoughts? No. Sums it up. Yeah. Trust. Those of you listening, if you struggle with trust in any way, shape, or form, please, please surrender it to him. You can trust him. He wants to answer you. He wants to be there for you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to shower manna from heaven for you. But you've got to give him your heart. It might hurt. It might hurt when he reveals things there that you don't want to see. But I promise you, you won't regret it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for including us in your day. Before you go, don't forget to follow our podcast, leave a positive review, and click the bell icon to be notified whenever we upload new episodes. Also, feel free to join us on social media and share any feedback, questions, or discussion ideas you might have. Links are in the description. Additionally, for more content like this, search for the Broken Record Ministries podcast. And as always, we pray that what we're doing here is a blessing to you as well as a light pointing only ever to him. This has been that Philly Faith Podcast, encouraging you to keep your feet steady upon the path, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and pursue that Philly Faith. Until next time, Shalom. God bless.